Well, good morning. Oh, one more time. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, so I am the son of a drummer. My dad, I just grew up in a musical home. Before I was born, I think that's how he put food on the table, and then I came along, so he had to get a real job. And, uh, but he's played drums my entire life. We've always had mu- uh, instruments around the house. But I, I have early memories, mainly from pictures of being like two, maybe two years old, like in a bar watching my dad play drums at 10 o'clock at night. Good job, mom and dad. Uh, and I like, had like headphones on or like cotton stuff to my ears. And, and uh, we always had his old red drum kit in the garage. And I remember from the, like maybe four or five, him trying to teach me a drum beat. And anytime we'd be going anywhere, like at the dinner table, he's always playing something or on the steering wheel, batting his thumbs. And I've inherited some of that, which often is Tanya like, Stop, be still for a moment. And, uh, and my dad, he's a really good drummer. Now, he's not the flashiest of drummers. He's not going to be twirling his sticks and doing drum solos or, or like Animal and the Muppets, ah, all that stuff. Um, he actually has a tattoo of Yosemite Sam holding drumsticks. That's pretty cool, right? And, uh, but what makes my dad a great drummer is he's got great feel. He's got great rhythm. When he plays, it makes you want to move. When, when he plays, you feel something in your bones. And to me, as a musician, any kind of music, whether it's the organ, an orchestra, or a rock band, if it gets you moving, it's doing something in you. It is contagious. Now, Kevin over here is our drummer. Everyone say, hey, Kevin. Now, Kevin's going to play a little beat. Go for it, brother. Oh, yeah, put your hands together. There you go. You feel that? You guys want to see me dance? Not going to happen. But yeah, you feel that. You may start moving a little bit. Yeah. Not bobbing your head. Some of you aren't, so that's okay. Uh, 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 uh. Hey, there you go. Thanks. Now, that was pretty good. You're clapping. So I have some dear friends here from my last congregation, and we they know I struggled for many years as the worship director to get them to clap in time. You did better than them after the first time. That is great. Give yourselves a round of applause. Rhythm is infectious. You know if you have it, you know if you don't. But you can learn rhythm. You can learn good feel. For some of us, we're kind of born with it. Others of us, we kind of have to develop it. This fall, we are kicking a series off called Healthy Rhythms. And we're going to, don't worry, we're not going to spend the next six weeks talking about how to clap and dance in time. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about our life with God. What kind of rhythm, if any, do you have in your life with God? And I'm not just saying spiritual rhythms, but your entire life is it in step with the Spirit, or are you beating, marching to the beat of your own drum? Within larger seasons, we have rhythms. What starts tomorrow for most of us if you have children? School. As I've been seeing parents come in, they're like, I'm so excited. Can they just go? Like, I, hey, are you guys ready for school? They're like, no, but we're sending them anyways. It's, if you live in the suburbs, how most of us do, Regardless if you have children in school or not, your life is dictated by the season of the school calendar. The the summer was a little bit more relaxed. People are on vacation, not as strict with bedtime. We all kind of feel just a little bit slower. And the school begins to ramp up. I've been told that I need to leave my home in Kyle to get to Bethany at like 3 in the morning to beat traffic as everyone's back on the roads. The... 
I'm not going to the grocery store today. I'm just going to pick that stuff up at the curb, right? As life starts getting busier. And it's just, for the next couple months, it's going to get busier and busier. In this season, the rhythm's going to get faster and faster. The drumbeat's going to get more and more unsustainable. Then we hit Christmas time. And we all start to add too many things to our calendars and buy stuff with money that we don't have, that we don't really need. And the, the drumbeat gets faster and faster and faster. And then we feel like we're going to explode. And then Christmas Day, <sighs> We take a breath between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And on New Year's Day, we all promise we're going to make new, healthy rhythms. And we are all liars because the routine goes on and on and on and on. And you find yourself here again. But my question for us is whatever season you're in, do you even think about your rhythm of life with God? Or is it just an afterthought of the busyness of life? Is it maybe I come to church like once every other week and that's good enough and that's, that's not bad. That's, that's a good starting point. But, but are you conscious? Are you aware if you are in step with the Spirit living in His rhythm or living by the beating of your own drum? One of my favorite passages comes from John 10.10. 10. And Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it, say it with me, abundantly, an abundant life. Jesus didn't say, I came that they may have an afterlife. That is part of the gospel. That is part of the good news. But he came to give us an abundant life here and now. And by abundant life, he doesn't mean like, the prosperity gospel, like you'll get everything you want and just be happy and healthy and wealthy, but a life that is rooted in him, that is full of joy and peace despite the circumstances of the world. As I read passages like that, I start asking myself, and you may too, how do we live into that life? Does it just magically happen? Is it just a passive thing that we play no part in? How do we live into this abundant life? And to start to unpack that, we're going to look at a passage of Jesus calling his first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, for some of us, this may be a somewhat familiar passage, the calling of Jesus' disciples. And, but for some of us, maybe it's a little too uh, familiar, where we've kind of lost some of the impact. Jesus often took things that were done in his cultural norm and turned them upside down on their heads, saying, actually, no, the kingdom of God is like this. You think it's like this, but it's actually like this. And in the ancient world, this would have been unheard of. A, a rabbi did not go around picking his disciples out of just fishermen. That would have never happened. How it actually worked in, in Jesus' time was 
uh, young men had been, tr- been trained in the ways of the Torah. They, they were uh, hopefully going to get a good enough uh, report card, a good enough resume, and then apply to a rabbi that they wanted to study under. And if they lived up to it, if they were good enough, if they had good enough grades, if you will, enough extracurricular activities, enough leadership development, they then would be selected by their choice rabbi to become their disciple. Does it sound like anything your students live through? <laughs> right? Try hard enough, get enough grades, overwork them, and then maybe they'll get into the university of choice. But what Jesus does, it's completely upside down. He is walking around, sees these men that are fishermen, and if they are fishermen, it means they haven't been good enough. They have not been selected to study a rabbi and says, you, follow me. Drop your nets and follow me. It would be as if a solid C student, nothing wrong there with that at all, just, you know, randomly getting a letter from Harvard, and Harvard's like, we see potential in you. We're, you know what? You should come to our school in the fall, and you know what? It's on our dime. That would, have, that would never happen. Now, if that had happened to me when I was in high school, I'd be like, I'm doing whatever I can right now to get on a plane, to get to Harvard before they realize they made a huge mistake, right? Just to get there. And that's what these, these men, these four men do. They see, they hear this call from this rabbi saying, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. And immediately they drop their nets. They leave their father. They leave their livelihood. Everything they knew and trusted in to follow this rabbi. And secondly, what did it look like to be a disciple of a rabbi in Jesus' time? They didn't just sit with the rabbi and go like, oh, I really like what you're saying. I really agree with what you're saying. Hey, I even believe what you are saying is good and true. Oh, that was really good. I just stuck it to the religious leaders. Yeah, no, they actually would follow the rabbi and live life with the rabbi, did everything the rabbi did, Whatever he ate, they ate. How they talked, they talked. How they walked, they walked. Everything around them. A disciple would take on the lifestyle of his rabbi so that he would become like his rabbi. Whole life discipleship formed around the rabbi with the end goal of looking like their rabbi. Well, brothers and sisters at Bethany... If you're a follower of Jesus, he said, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus' call to come and follow me is actually a call to come and orient your entire life around Jesus to adopt his lifestyle so that you may become like him. Yes, that you may become like him. Does that make anyone feel a little uncomfortable? Uh, Jesus is God. I am just a mere mortal. (laughs) Jesus was sinless. Have you looked at my life? (laughs) Jesus says this in John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He's talking to his disciples. They're asking Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, ah, if you believe in me, you've seen the Father. And, and if you believe in me, you will also do all the works that I do. And then he goes on, on top of that, in greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
how many of you, when you hear a passage like that, your mind automatically goes to Jesus's, like, his big things, <laughs> the things he's known for, like raising the dead, turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 people with some fish and bread. How many of you guys think of those things? Oh, you, the resurrection, <laughs> right? Our mind can easily go to those points and leave us feeling defeated, like, I can't do any of that. Like, okay, if this means being like Jesus and I can't do those things, count me out. But that word there of works there, it, could, it means, yes, it, it means to the miracles that Jesus did. And I believe that the scriptures still teach that, that the Holy Spirit can work through, through you and me in miraculous ways. But that word also refers to the normal, everyday things that Jesus did. Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. Meaning he had to learn how to live in relation with other humans. He had to learn how, what it means to be connected to his heavenly father. So I wonder with a passage like this, if we need to step back and take a look at, at maybe Jesus is inviting us into something larger. He's saying, come and follow me, adopt my lifestyle, and become the kind of person I was. The kind of person that blesses their enemy instead of curses. The kind of person that, that finds their identity in the Heavenly Father versus their job or the success of their children. The kind of person that speaks life and breath into people's lives instead of polarization and causing division. The kind of person that embodies the fruit of the Spirit, which we just spent the entire summer unpacking, where we become the kind of people who embody love, peace, joy, uh, kindness, gentleness, and even self-control. What if Jesus, as he says, come and follow me, is inviting us to become those kinds of people? Which leads me back to my first question, how? <laughs> how do we do that? Is it just something that passively happens, or is it something we participate in with God by grace in our formation? Dallas Willard, Christian philosopher and thinker, he writes this, The path of spiritual growth in, in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action, earning is attitude. Say that with me. Effort is action, earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Paul, who perhaps understood grace better than any other mere human being, looked back at what had happened to him and said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Grace is opposed to earning. That's why we have to understand the first, the starting place is Jesus saying, come and follow me. He is the one initiating the call. He is the one calling you and me out by name, saying, come and follow me. Now join me, which means we need to put forth effort in following him to be formed more into his image. And that's what this next six weeks is going to look like. This is just the introduction that, that over the next six weeks, we are going to start taking the traditional, you can call them spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, whatever you may want to call them, 
Things like earth-shattering stuff, friends. Earth-shattering. Reading your Bible. <laughs> Learning how to pray. What does it mean to practice silence and solitude in a digital age? What does it look like to make corporate worship the heartbeat of your faith? What does it look like to practice fasting? That's going to be a fun one. We, we joked after that one, like, there'll be no snacks. <laughs> no snacks. I'm excited for that one. I have two big books I'm trying to read through because I've never really read on that before. But as a community, we're going to impact what are these rhythms. And all these practices develop rhythms that help us to start practicing walking with the Spirit. Because Jesus has called, he has invited us into this. And the way we're going to go about it is, yes, Sunday morning, we're going to teach on those things. But imagine, imagine your daughter or son or yourself is um, on a sports team. I don't really know sports, so just a, go sports, a sports team. And they showed up to every practice, but just sat on the sidelines. I was like, yeah, coach, that was a good play. I like what you drew there. That was good but never got on the field? Would they ever play a game? No. We can come to church every single week and hear amazing sermons by your pastors. Thank you, Kevin. And, 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 and be like, oh, I did it. Like, that's good. That's a good starting place. But we're going to start sending out what we are calling weekly practices. Where each week you're going to e get an email from Pastor Martin. It's going to be on our Facebook page also. If you don't have either of those, let us know. We will do whatever we can. We will print them out on real paper and give them to you even. And it's going to be a little thing for you to work through with you or your family or your roommates, whoever it is. And it's going to help you practice what we're preaching about. Right? How many people want nothing to do with the church because Christians don't practice what we preach? Here's the opportunity, church, to step into it. To say, yes, God, I'm going to follow you into this. And this is going to start to create rhythms in your life and in the life of our church. And hopefully that will impact the life and the rhythms of our communities that we are called into. Now there's two dangers I want us to be aware of going into this. How many of you are type A task-driven people? Come on, raise your hands. Amen. You're my kind of people. We get stuff done, right? We are so good at getting things done, but we're also really good at making that our identity. I live, I thrive, I find my worth in what I get done. The danger of these weekly practices, of, of these spiritual disciplines, that it's actually, it's about Jesus, not the practice. The worst thing I would hear is like, Pastor, I read the Bible every day this week, but I still screamed at my kids and wife and said, you're number one to the driver on, the, on 35. Like, it means it did nothing. Now, maybe that's way better than what you used to be. Like, there's some growth, but you get what I'm saying. Like, we, we, it's not about mastering the specific discipline. It's about using the discipline to abide in Jesus so we can know the Father better. It's not about mastering the practice. And second, say this, it's not about me. Oh, you guys really believe that. Say it again. It's not about me. Say it. Hey, I love it. Get used to saying that, church. The other danger of this is it becomes this kind of self-focused, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, kumbaya, just me and Jesus, the rest of the world, just get away from me, spirituality. And that is not what these are intended to be. 
This was a wake-up call for me as I started practicing anything of these years ago before our son was born. I'd have my quiet time in the morning with my coffee and me and Jesus, and it was wonderful. And then we had a little crying terrorist in the room next to us screaming and going like, don't you know I'm spending time with Jesus? And Jesus convicted me like, go take care of your son. That's the most spiritual thing you can do. I didn't let him, that sounds awful. I did not sit there and let him cry, all right? A little bit though, it's good for him. I think. I have no idea what I'm doing. Not a clue. <clears throat> it's not about me. Paul says this, follow my example as I follow Christ. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fisher of men. Come and follow me. Spend time with me so I can send you out to others. Paul had the audacity to say, follow me as I follow Christ, inviting other people into his life. And Bethany, that's what we are called to do. Invite other people to follow Jesus alongside us. The only way the people at your workplace the restaurants you frequent, your kids' soccer teams, your classmates, whatever it may be, the way they're going to hear about the gospel, the good news of Jesus is through you. It's not going to come from my mouth. It's not going to come from Pastor Martin's mouth. It's going to come from your life. And that is the point of these practices, is for God to form us more into his people. So, as we get ready to go into this season of practicing these things, I encourage you, do whatever you can to get here on Sunday mornings. Because one, it's a discipline we're going to look at. But two, it's to sit under the teachings of Scripture and to sit ourselves to what God is saying. And I know that sounds really arrogant coming from the guy on the stage, but I really believe that the things that we're going to be diving into is going to help form you more into the image of Christ as I practice them also. I have not mastered any of these. But make it a discipline to be here and then practice them throughout the week. And lastly, it's an invitation. Jesus is going to say, you have to follow me or else. He said, come and follow me. And we see other parts of scriptures where people are like, nah. And he's like, okay. He respects your will. He respects your humanity enough for you to say no. He says, okay. But if you say yes, if you follow him, if you respond to the call because the spirit is moving in you, he's saying that leads, leads to abundant life. The other way, it doesn't. So whatever season you're in, whatever rhythms you have, it's not too late to say, God, I'm going to follow you by your grace, by your truth, by your power, by your spirit. So I'm excited for the next six weeks what these are going to look like. And actually, we're going to, re re we're going to kind of revisit some of them during Lent even, how, how they play out in that season. So this is going to be a big part, I believe, of what Bethany's forming into. So can I pray for us as we wrap up this morning? God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for um, the opportunity to serve with them. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you start putting an excitement on our hearts, a, a, an obedient spirit to say yes to what you're calling us into, that we can learn from one another as we explore what it means to have healthy rhythms. So God, continue to form us into your image for the sake of the world. And the church says, amen.